time with prayer. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would guide us as we consider your word, as we hear your word, as we stand before your word, and seek to follow your word. Guide our hearts, our understanding. Guide everything, Lord. Guide this time. Guide my words. Guide all of our hearts and minds. For we love you, Lord. And we come to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Next week begins Holy Week with Palm Sunday, and then, and then will come Monday, Thursday, which is the, the remembrance of the Last Supper, and we remember and we celebrate that every week here at New Hope, and then the next day is Good Friday, and when Jesus comes to the cross, and of course, Easter, the Resurrection Sunday, when he rose from the grave. So in the next few weeks, we're going to be going through those events. But before we come to them, we're going to look at one of the last events before Jesus enters Jerusalem as king on Palm Sunday. And it's, he's just over the hill. Bethany is just over the hill of Mount Olives. And we're going to pick up where he is there in chapter 12 of the Gospel of John, the first eight verses. Listen to the word of the Lord. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus, who, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of, the recli- one of those reclining with him at table. Mary, Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. What does it mean to be Christian? Literally, the word means to be a a follower of of Christ, of of Jesus Christ, a, a person. But to be a Christian is more than just a, a doctrinal assent, although that is the beginning of it. Like it's like seeing someone and identifying who they are. Oh, I know you. You're Jesus. The doctrine of Jesus is called Christology, and it includes lists of his attributes and particular identifying characteristics. He's God and man. He's humble and faithful to his Father. He's the best teacher and leader that there's ever been, and we can go on, and and it's important to 
But identifying these things does not make you a follower. It may encourage it, inspire it. It certainly informs us along the way. But knowing these things about Jesus doesn't mean you follow him. This passage gives us a picture of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And this picture of a follower, surprisingly, it's not one of his 12 disciples that this picture is of. As as is characteristic of much of the Gospels, it's a surprise person. Someone not as highly respected in their society in the day because it was a woman, Mary, Lazarus's and Martha's sister, in whom we see what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And we're going to look at a, at a few things about her in this passage that characterize some of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. First, the first thing is, following Jesus means abandoning your pride. Abandoning your pride. She anointed, she washed his feet. And she let down her hair and used it to wash them. Now, washing feet is, in and of itself, humiliating. Think of it. Sandal-wearing, ancient feet of those who are walking miles a day on, on dirt and mud, they are a horrible, dirty mess. And, and it is so humiliating to wash another's feet that there were laws that kept slaves from being made to wash someone else's feet. And, and to do it willingly and to do it freely, it is an, a, a supreme act of submission and humility. And letting her hair down, letting her hair down for a woman in the, that world is also an act of humiliation and, and of in, intimacy. Women in that world they kept their hair covered. It's not just a Muslim thing. It's a Near Eastern thing. And all this together is a, a dramatic picture of humility, of letting go of her own pride, of her own self-identity, so as to honor Jesus. We have our pride. And, and pride can mean many things. I, I have pride in my kids and in my wife. I value them as I value myself, and that's a wonderful thing. But, but, pride, but, but pride can be also that impulse, that drive that we have in us that says the world, that, that life, that God owes me something. It's a, it's a sense of entitlement from life, from God. I read a, of an interview with an older Catherine Hepburn, maybe one of the most, two or three most famous actresses that ever lived. And she had been one of the leading movie stars since her youth, since she was nearly a child. And when in those early years, everything that she could have asked for in life came to her, she, she tells about how she became a horrible person. She thought she had it coming, that everything was owed to her because she was special. And everyone reinforced that. She describes how from that point on, for a very long time, she became a taker. And, and how many people would have early access in life, many people who have success early in their lives, become takers as if it's all owed to them. Until hopefully they can reach, somehow reach maturity when they realize 
that all that they have, it wasn't owed to them. And maybe then they can become givers and, and philanthropists. But the natural impulse of success is to think that we're owed it, that it's due to us. And the correlating response when we're not successful is to become self-righteous and bitter because we're not getting what we're owed. You usually don't have to, very, you don't have to go very far to find that attitude in people. Disappointment in, with life is a prevalent theme surrounding us in our world. And often it's a result of that innate pride telling us we're owed more. More from life, more from the world, more from God. Here's the reality. Here's the truth. God owes us nothing. And we owe him everything. Hold on to that. I'll get back to that. I want to get to the next point. But remember, he doesn't, owe us. Oh, he doesn't owe us. We owe him. Second, following Jesus means knowing his death. Knowing his death. It's an interesting passage because we can see motivations in this passage. They're pointed out directly. Why does Jude, Judas question her? It wasn't because he was being a responsible treasurer. It was personal. He had plans for the money. It was a lot of money. There can be only one reason she does what she does, this extravagant gesture of love. Why we do what we do is as important, maybe some oftentimes more important than what we do. Motivations are just as important as actions. They are not always visible to us, nor are they ours to judge of others. But God does know them. He sees the heart. Why do you call yourself a Christian? People come into relationship for Je with Jesus for all sorts of reasons. Many come to church because they've always come to church. And and the generations before them too. It's momentum. It's, it's nostalgia. And, and we consider ourselves in a relationship with Jesus because we always come to church. Frankly, this motivation is happening less and less in, in the postmodern world. And while that's frightening for church attendance, and a loss, a loss for those who have that moment after coming to church for a long time of finally seeing the glory of God and their, and their motivation changes at that moment, in and of itself, it's not a relationship with Jesus that we see in Mary in this passage. Many others have a bargain with God. I'll do this if you do that. I'll do this for you, God, if you do these other things for me. It's a contract not a covenant. Guilt and shame are also common motivators for a relationship with Jesus, but shame without trust in God's forgiveness is, is too often what keeps people connected to Jesus, and this isn't that relationship either. But nostalgia or bargains or shame are not great motivators of a healthy relationship with God or with anyone else. And they're not what Mary is motivated by here. 
Mary realized that Jesus was going to die like he'd been saying and he was going to die for her. When it hit her what he was doing for her there is clearly nothing in this world or of herself that she would not give him. Seeing the cross clearly has to be the source of our motivation in relating to Jesus. Here's what you see when you see the cross. You see the God who owes you nothing has given you everything. All of those other motivations are about ourselves, not the cross, not the death of Jesus, not God or his unimaginable love drawing us to himself. To follow Jesus, we, we see that we're not owed anything, but we're given everything. And it's so much more than we could ever ask or imagine. It's so much more than our entitled pride was looking for from God. And, and when we see what we've been given on the cross, it changes us completely. It changes, changes us so that we see in ourselves what we see in Mary in this passage. And then, and then following Christ means not just giving him everything that you have, but giving him everything that you are. The question in this passage is one of economy. And we see two different frameworks of economy in this passage. Judas is speaking economic sense here that perfume that she's pouring out on Jesus's feet is worth a year's wages in the world and she's dumping it all out at once on his dirty feet and now Judas is the treasurer of their little band of wanderers and this just doesn't make economic sense now I'm a parent of children all three of my kids have a different sense of economy, of, of saving, of spending. But someone has to be the parent, at least until they grow up. But you be the parent and you make responsible decisions. Tim Keller tells a story that he heard about some parents who had come to their minister and they were worried about their daughter their daughter wanted to take their hard-earned and expensive degree that they had helped her get and go to the mission field in some far-off and poor and maybe dangerous part of the world to tell people about Jesus. And they wanted her to get a master's and, and to move into a professional position and make something of herself. And they came to their minister to try and have him talk some sense into her. Keller tells of the professor's response like this. Let me get this straight. We're all on this little ball of rock called Earth, and we're, we're spinning through space at millions of miles an hour, and if we don't happen to run into anything, it doesn't matter because underneath every single one of us, someday a trap door is going to open, and we're going to fall off. And underneath are the everlasting arms of God or nothing. And maybe we need a master's degree for a little security. 
There's a different economy with God. It's not the same as the world is economy. It's an economy of faith and of trust. Of praying and trusting, give us this day our daily bread. And knowing everything that you have belongs to and comes from God. And we give it all to him. And it's not just everything that you have that you give, it's everything that you are. Following Christ means giving everything that you are. There's, there's nothing left of Mary after this act. She's given her whole self to Jesus. Here's the thing. God doesn't want all our stuff. He wants us. Remember the man who, who comes up to Jesus and asks him what he must do to be saved? We always remember the part of Jesus' answer where he says he must sell everything that he has to the poor and give and give the money to the poor and, and to give everything that he has. We always remember that part of the answer. But, you're, but I've heard it. But the next thing, we always forget the important part. And come and follow me. He wants him. I've heard it said this way. The hardest thing to give is in. Have you heard that? The hardest thing to give is in. He wants our hearts and our lives. Who are you in this for? Do you follow Christ when it looks good for you? When you, when you like to look to get something out of it? When it doesn't conflict with what you want? God owes us nothing. He's given us everything in his son. I was a new Christian at the end of high school when someone had given me Spurgeon's commentary on the Psalms, and at the end of every one of his Psalms, every one of the Psalms, Spurgeon quotes a hymn or a poem of that time. Most of them are pretty obscure now, obscure hymns, and, and no one remembers them 150 years later. And I was struck by one that I thought I'd, I would never actually hear, but it turns out to be pretty famous. And it speaks to what Mary did that day for Jesus. Just, just a line he had at the end of that psalm. And I think we're probably likely to sing it in the next few weeks. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. We have this table set before us. We have this way to participate in the principles that we see in Mary right in front of us. God owes us nothing, but he has given us everything in giving us his son who died on a cross for us. And we come to this table and to the next couple of weeks of worship to receive of this gift, but also to give what we have and what we are as we take Jesus into ourselves and let him fill us and mold us and shape us through what he's done on the cross, through the present work of his spirit, and through the sure hope of heaven that we celebrate at this table. And we're coming into this next few weeks to worship God. And we're all invited.
Let's pray. Lord, we see what this woman did, what Mary did for you in the moment when she went overboard and she poured out this this treasure on your feet. And it's only in looking back that we can see that it's it's even still not enough for the enormity of your love for us that's going to take place in the next couple of weeks of your forgiveness and grace in the humiliation of a king in the life and hope and promise of an empty tomb God help us to see you clearly in the next few weeks and for our hearts to be shaped and molded by you. And Lord, help us to give everything of ourselves and all we have and are, for we are yours. And we thank you for your incredible love for us. In Jesus' name.